Football Fridays are presented by Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agriculture, irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. It's Football Friday. It's time for you to call your shots. Hit us up on Twitter, David DJ James, Facebook DJ and PK, and we will get to your predictions coming up. Right now, it's time to talk with David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. David joins us every week, and it's brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning. All right, Football Friday. And the little recap. I went hiking this or went camping this weekend. Got off the grid. Came back off the grid midday Sunday and was like, what? How did that happen? You're How did BYU beat Utah? Well, we spent all week on that, David. Come on, man. Well, you know. They dominated I, the I, I want my own private little summation they here before, we moved, the, to San they, Diego, before they, we moved to San Diego State and Arizona State, right? Isn't that what we got this week? They dominated the offensive line and the defensive line. They won the trenches, and everything flowed from that. And so what has happened that that takes place? Because BYU was really getting hammered in that category, in that area for the last majority. It wasn't, you know, wasn't just skill positions winning this battle for the last few years. Yeah, I think it was a situation of the program growing up and getting guys off missions, getting them prepared, getting them to be in the program, getting them playing experience, having the coaching staff be – having continuity instead of changing over. So it was a combination of everything, really, when you look at the development of BYU's program. I mean, last year they had the soft schedule, so they weren't really taken seriously. Now this year you can't say, you can't justify or just say basically, yeah, well, two years in a row they didn't play anybody good. I mean, come on, that just doesn't work very well. So I think it's a lot of factors that went into it that allowed them to play well. Plus Utah was is a really young ball club, and last year they could have had an opportunity to develop to where they wouldn't be as young. But because of the situation with the COVID, that didn't happen as much to the level. Let's not forget, so two years ago, they lost so many guys, not just to eligibility exhaustion, but to the NFL. And then last year, they played they play five games, but nobody on that team at all played before 64,000. That was the very first time the majority of those kids had anybody outside of a smattering of people, and that doesn't count if you have a 1,000 or two at, the, at top, so they didn't have that. So you factor all those things in there, and the uh, Cougars took advantage of it. That last note's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. No, I mean, Kyle, the, Kyle, Kyle Whittingham said that defensively, they just physically got pushed around in the second half. But on offense, he said they missed a lot of assignments. And we, every Monday morning, we have Nick Ford on, the Ute Center. He's really good. He's a good interview. What time? And he, 7.30. Right. And and he well, said seven thirty appointment listening. He said they missed a lot. There were, he called them miscoms. There were miscoms. So you know BYU changes up their front. They're trying to communicate with everyone who you're blocking, and they missed. How much of that is crowd noise? Because guys just aren't used to it and don't handle it, don't react quickly enough, and turns into a bad play for Utah and a great play for BYU. Interesting times. The long-term ramifications of all what we've been through in the last 18 months is going to linger for a long time. It's interesting to see. I mean, even just like on the jazz end, like Udoka Azabuki and Elijah Hughes, they just have missed so much. Like they're just so far behind. Like, you know, Doak got some nice time in the summer league and, you know, Elijah's doing nice things as they kind of doing OTAs right now, but 
they're just, you know, particularly Elijah, when you think about the fact he played at Syracuse, right? So he didn't really play real defense. And he's now got to come out and try to learn how to play. Well, he just missed, you know, he got a little bit of bubble time and really no G League and no, you know, and then also like no, the things like the amount of things these guys have missed, even from like the workouts that you do pre-draft are really valuable because coaches are explaining to you terminology and the way you want to guard things. So you actually learn in every single one of those as you go, but they didn't do any of those. So, you know, we have a whole draft class in the NBA or two that I think has been vastly impacted. Yeah, so the the funny thing was uh, two years ago, so the year before last, when they had the big three-month break, we had Kenny Smith on our air, and a lot of people picked up on this. When they resumed play in the bubble, he was saying that, like Mitchell, instead of a second-year player, he was a third-year player because right. he had all that time to develop and study and blah, blah, blah. So he came back at, like it was the next season, even though it was a continuation. So what you're saying, basically, now the downside of this this season is those kids who would be in their second year, really, progression-wise, are they rookies? Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Doak and, and Elijah Hughes are basically rookies right now. I think they're st- you know they're starting from scratch, and so from our standpoint as a good team, you just really can't expect you're going to get anything out of them. Like they just need to go to the G League and play 40 minutes a night every night, because that's what they should have done last year. You know, Kevin Felton maybe had a better line on that whole thing than Kenny Smith did. He just thought it was the natural chronology, but we just we put everything into seasons, right? Yeah. But he actually just thought it was the natural chronology. They were just five months long farther along. It just wasn't a five months where we usually see guys play. So it's like seeing the nephew who you haven't seen for five months who grows a lot. If you're there every day, you right. don't see the player improving. But when you don't see him for five months, then you think, wow, this player took a step forward. Right. Just like this or the 60-year-old weight gain. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah, okay, good point. Okay. Yeah, the weight gain. Right. Maybe the or weight, the 50 weight, weight loss. Weight loss. <laughs> Come on now. I think you can see weight loss better than weight gain in day, oh. day-to-day. No, because I see Yach, and Yach's been dropping a lot of weight, and it didn't oh, I register. Thought it was obvious. It didn't register until I finally talked with him. What did with me? Well, Isn't you're, that great? you're a better Isn't person. Great for Yach. Great job, JP. No, I could, you could see it in his face. That's the thing about it. You could see it, not so much in the a body, the gut, but really in the face, because you look at the guy's face every day, and you can see it. I did. Did he, he gain, like, did he do, uh, this is what I did when my wife got pregnant the first time. I, like, gained, like, 18 pounds. Sympathy? Pity weight? I don't know. Like, I think I gained more than she did. When we are. If we have all these pictures, like, when the kids are born, she's like, looks well, fine. I look like a blip. <laughs> hey, ESPN came out with the projection for regular season wins. They had the Jazz tops in the West at 55, the Lakers next at 53. Kind of made sense to me. I figure the Lakers are going to be resting guys, don't care where they see, they're seated. But then I started wondering, do the Jazz really care where they're seated this year? Are they Now that they've had the best record in the NBA, do they move into the playoffs? They're way more important. What do you think? Didn't it seem like having the one seed was pretty important last year? Like, didn't we get kind of a cakewalk in the first round? That had we not screwed around with various injuries, we probably should have swept that series and been done in four? Yeah, I would agree with that. Right, like it's really interesting to me. So we lost the Clippers in the second round, who were really good. It wasn't a great matchup, and we there's this new narrative that like the first like that the that the first round doesn't matter. Like the playoff seating didn't matter. I I would totally disagree. Like playoff seating totally mattered. We got a cakewalk in the first round, and we got to the second round. Had we like just kind of rolled around, if we had Dallas in the first round, how would it have gone? More difficult. 
Right. I mean, are we certain we would even beat Luka? In? Like, I'm, I'm not. I'm pretty certain. We we play Memphis 10, ter- 10 series. They might get four games. And we don't hold our best player out for the first game. Like, right? Like, they like we lost the first game because Donovan didn't play and Rudy got in foul trouble for the first time all season long. So, like, but if we play Dallas, that's probably a six, seven game series. So I would say seeding is really important. And, you know, it was unfortunate that we got the Clippers in the second round and they happened to have matchups that were particularly difficult for us. And the Jazz will work for the next 82 games to try to find ways to better handle that than they did last year. You know, mainly guarding your man. Like, let's, I've rewatched the second half of that game. Like, the national narrative is uh, absurd. The problem was that Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell were injured and guys turned the corner on them all game long. Donovan just couldn't move well enough. Mike couldn't either. And then, frankly, I can find a play where every other guy gets blown by. Joe, Jordan, anyone. Like, we just find it. Like, it's not hard. Just They just get blown by. And so the narrative out there that somehow, like, Rudy can't play in the playoffs is, is a laughable concept. The problem is if you can't guard your guy – and they just go one-on-one, head down to drive, that's a really big problem. The Jazz have to figure out whether they have guys in guard. That's a problem for everybody at any time. I mean, that's just the way it is in basketball. Uh, but the first round, though, just because you play a tougher matchup, does that have lingering effect? I mean, if you lose, obviously it's a major issue. Well, I mean, I just think you have a real chance. Like, I think there's seven teams that can win the West this year. Seven. I don't have the Warriors in that group. So if you include the Warriors, I think you get to eight. But maybe, eight. maybe, maybe if you include the Warriors at seven. But I think there's seven teams that can win the West. So Utah, Phoenix, L.A., L.A., Denver, Dallas, I guess Golden State is seven. So there's seven teams that, like, here's what I think is so crazy about this. Let's go to Dallas for a second. If you tell me Dallas has to play in the playing game, I'm like, yeah, I could see that. If you tell me Dallas wins the West, yeah, I could see that. Like well, that's how, I guess like, if you're going to put seven teams in as, as teams that can win the West, you have to put one of them in a playing game. That's just the way the right. math works. Right, but that's different than we've ever had before. The league's really different in this regard. So now Denver Brooklyn to win the West, Dallas. I know, but you also had Denver in this group, and I have a hard time sure. with Denver. they got a major injury they're dealing with for most of the season, well, it looks like. They do, but two things to that. One is, you know, there is some feeling in Denver that Jamal could be back by All-Star break. But... In the initial offseason, um, I actually was talking to Jazz assistant coach Mike Wells about this for a long time yesterday, and he had some interesting thoughts. He disagreed with me on this a little bit, so he's probably smarter than I am, so I just want to put that caveat out there. Um, but here's my take on Denver. So they, they've lost Jamal Murray's possessions, which seems like a really big deal, except for the fact they're going to Michael Porter Jr., who's amazing offensively. Amazing. In the last, like, 24 games, this is not going to be perfect, but in the last 24 games, when Jamal Murray was out, he shot 55% from the field, 47% from three, and shot, shot 22, scored 22 points a game. He's one of the seven most efficient players in the NBA. He's not that far off Kevin Durant offensively, like at the similar stage of their careers and maybe even beyond. He's incredible. They're not going to be hurt at all offensively. Jamal, losing Jamal Murray is not a problem for them because Michael Porter Jr. picks up those possessions and runs them better. Their bigger problem is going to be when Jamal Murray comes back, how you reintegrate him. They're, they're going to be fine offensively. They have two of the top ten offensive players in the league, efficiency-wise, if Jokic has an MVP year again. The only question is whether the lack of Jamal Murray wears them down. Porter's a bad defensive player. Teams will take advantage of him. You know, he's had a back injury. Will he, will he be able to hold 82 games? Those are real issues. But if they don't have a significant injury, even without Jamal Murray, I think they're like number two or three offensive team in the Western Conference. They're great. 
So I have no problem putting Denver. In fact, if I had, like, I got asked yesterday by someone, who wins the West? And I just stuttered for like five minutes. I had no answer. And part of me actually went to Denver. Like, if Jamal Murray comes back and is healthy, which is a big if, yeah, I'm not sure that Denver with Aaron Gordon is your fourth best player at that point and, like, doesn't win the West. And Will Barton is your fifth best player, doesn't win the West. Do you have the Jazz in that? Um, I think the Jazz are in this grouping. Like, I mean, I kind of think there's, I think the seven teams have between like 10 and 18%, 10 and 19% of winning the the conference. And I'd be really surprised if someone gets to 20% at any point where I think they have a one in five chance to win it. And it's just going to be a battle. It's going to be about matchups. I mean, the one team I really don't like is the Lakers. Like now I love LeBron James and I love Anthony Davis, but two things on that. One is, LeBron is getting older. Like, I know he's still great, but he is getting older, and I have every statistical trend I can show that he's not quite what he once was. Two, Anthony Davis has never done what Jokic did last year, and that's what that roster actually needs him to do. They need Anthony Davis to have an MVP season. Now, last year, Anthony Davis actually had a bad year, and I don't know whether he had a bad year because of COVID and all the stuff that's going on, or if there's something like his body's breaking down or something. He had a bad year last year. He was not actually particularly good if you look at him statistically or even defensively, they were great defensively, but like now they've added Carmelo and Russell Westbrook and all these older guys, they're not good defensive players. So I'm totally lost on how the Lakers are scoring in the half court. They're going to have to play massive transition basketball where they're amazing. And, but to get transition, they're going to have to defend at a really, really high level. And, you know, I'm not sure that their personnel matches their defense that they had a year ago. And then there's the whole Anthony Davis center question. Like, Anthony Davis doesn't want to play center. Rich Paul's walking around town telling everyone they're going to play Anthony Davis the five and LeBron the four. But clearly, Anthony Davis doesn't want to, or they wouldn't be signing Dwight Howard, DeAndre Jordan, and a bunch of other seven-foot stiffs that are 63 years old to play center. You buy the Clippers, though, because Paul George is figuring yeah. out the postseason for all the problems I he's do, had? I do, I do buy the Clippers because, same as Denver, I'm actually kind of contrary to the narrative on everyone, so we'll see whether I'm right or wrong over time. Like, I really like Portland. I really like Dallas. I really like Denver, and I really like the Clippers. And everybody else doesn't like those teams for various doubt, but like the because of the Damian offseason. But they actually had a great offseason. They just didn't do anything splashy, and most national commentators just like Dame talk about Dame because Brian Windhorst has nothing else to talk about. So he's going to oh, I'm sorry. He's going to talk about um, just, you know, whatever controversy he can have. The Clippers I like because, yes, they lost Kawhi Leonard and his 22 possessions a night, but it's not like Nicholas Batum and Marquise Morris and Reggie Jackson and even Terrence Mann or Serge Ibaka if he's healthy, which I doubt it. But any of the, it's not like those guys are upset they get three more possessions a game. They've actually all had to sacrifice greatly to be on that roster, and now they don't have to sacrifice. And they're all really, really good. So you, if Paul George can handle being the number one guy for the year, which he seems to have made great strides in his career. Now, he traditionally has these really, really bad months, and that'll kill him. But if he doesn't have that, if he's busted through that like 40% shooting, 31% month that he's had in almost every year of his career, that month's going to cost him. They'll go 7-7 seven and seven in that month, but otherwise they're going to be really good too. We saw it firsthand, right? Yeah. Yeah, I thought he was he was answering the bell night after night. There was none of the A boxing sh- analogy. shrinking from the moment. All right. <laughs> Thank you, PK. All right, so David. I, and, like, I don't like, and I don't and I don't really like the Warriors. Like everyone's all in love with the Warriors because Clay Thompson's coming back. That like so this is a non playoff team last year 
whose best player had an unbelievable season, can't get much better than Steph was last year, whose second-best player, Draymond Green, is noticeably getting older and not can't move the same way, still great, but noticeably different, who added two rookies. Rookies, have never, rookies, excluding Donovan Mitchell, just about never help you win in any way, shape, or form. And even Donovan that year wasn't very efficient. I mean, Don, rookies are not helpful in this Kareem league. was good, though. Yes, okay, 1968. Yes, we got it. Uh, Magic Johnson, 1979. Woohoo! Um, Bird. Bird, 1979. Woohoo! We are relevant right now. Um, TVs were in black and white, but we're going to use that as a reference. Wow, you had a TV in 79? I did. I even had a, com- I had a computer a year later. How about that? Um, but not in 79, we didn't. We didn't have computers yet, but we're going to use that as our reference point. So rookies aren't helpful. So they add Moody and they add Kamunga, but like, who cares? And then, so the whole reason we're basing the Warriors on getting better is that Clay Thompson, who hasn't played basketball in two years, is coming off an ACL and Achilles, and is not back until maybe January. Yeah, is going to be the difference idiot. maker. Like, like I'm not buying this at all on the Warriors, and I'm not buying the Lakers. So the world's buying the Lakers and Warriors. The world is saying no to the Blazers, Denver, and the Clippers, and I'm saying yes to all the, those teams. And uh-huh. the one thing I think Phoenix is going to be really, really good, but Chris Paul's got to stay healthy. But Chris. I'll wrap on this just as we're like, by the time we talk next week, we'll actually be like a day away from media day or three days away from media day. There's five players in the Western conference who I think can get noticeably can get better. Like, I don't think there was a single move in the Western conference that made any team notch better than they were a year ago, but Mikel Bridges, Devin Booker and Deandre Ayton are all going to be better. Donovan Mitchell can get better. And Michael Porter Jr. can get better. Did you know Oscar Robertson was three tenths of a, an assist away from averaging a triple-double when he was only 22 and 60-61? You know, I did. Um, <laughs> again, so John F. Kennedy was the president? That's about right, yeah. 62, was it? Was it 62 or 63? For the assassination? Yeah. yeah 63? 60, I think 63. Okay. Because he's, he's in Dallas for re-election campaign. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. November 22, 1963. Yep. You're a Stanford Cardinal going to Vanderbilt. You got one coach fired, so you're off to a good start this season. I know. You season. lose to Stanford, and you get your, you lose your job. Yeah. We really must suck. I, will be, I didn't watch it. We went off the grid over the weekend. I watched the Stanford-Kansas State game. They were so bad. I didn't think I could actually muster watching another – like, I've never felt this way about a team that I've rooted for. They were so bad, so dreadful offensively against Kansas State that I literally was like, I don't think I can watch this. Like, I'll see, I don't think I can do it. Like, it's, it was so three and out, run in the middle, throw a bad pass, run up the middle. Like, it was so huh. dreadful. And then they scored like 63 points against 50, whatever, 45 against USC. Holy cow. I mean, I, from what I saw in the first game, it was Kansas State. Clay Helton maybe should have been fired. But, God, can you, can you run a worse organization than firing a coach in the second game? Like, if every business book you've ever read in your entire life or how to do anything, like, go to Herb Keller's book in, about Southwest Airlines. Like, good managers know in the first two weeks about their employees, and if they're not good, they actually exit immediately and let them go in the first two weeks. Like, you know. Like, if you're firing Clay Helton in the second game of the season, what were you doing in the offseason? You clearly didn't believe in him. Like, what a joke. Yeah, it's all PR. They didn't think they could justify firing him after going 5-1 and one in that short season. 
but they, they wanted him out. They wanted him out for four years. They didn't believe in him a year before that, right? No, like, they've what won, are they doing? They've wanted him out since at least 2018. It's been a long so time. So what now. are you doing? Just so bad. It's like, you, like that group, it's like giving a chef like the best ingredients in the world. And then letting no the dog choices. lick everything. Right, and having him somehow screw it up. We'll leave it right there, David. We appreciate it. We, we will so talk to you again to next week. Yeah, Arkansas kicking the crap out of Texas last week? That's like the greatest. Like, oh, we're going to screw you and go to the SEC. Ah! Oh, no, what have we done? Two and ten, here we come. Uh, I think America's here for Texas at two and ten. Think, oh, my gosh, yeah. it's like so great. Just these, yeah, keep to keep talking about how great you were in the past instead of rebranding yourself. Like, I'm sure that Xerox is still trying to sell. Like, they're doing great. David Locke brought to you by Kodak every week right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Thank you, David. See you. Coming up, Brent Brigham, Air Force B writer for the Gazette in Colorado Springs, to join us at 8.30. A couple of 2-0 teams playing Saturday night in Colorado Springs and Doug Haller. Arizona State rider for the Athletic. A couple of 2-0 teams will be playing in Provo Saturday night. He'll be here at 9.30. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.